how are you guys doing today? Awesome. We had a, a, an awesome morning as well. Um, I don't know if anybody else did what I did, which is to wake up early, make breakfast, pump my children full of sugar, drag them to church, and pretend to worship Jesus. <laughs> it was a little bit rambunctious and, and rowdy up here. Uh, but the good news is they are downstairs and we are praying for the people who are dealing with them right now. Happy Mother's Day. What a great day. I, uh, today, when, every year when we celebrate moms, I am convinced that celebrating moms is the easiest thing to do. Moms are easily the, like the best group in the world to celebrate. And how great was it to see all of these parents up here, up front, dedicating their children to Jesus? Um, what a beautiful expression. I want to encourage you to keep praying for these families. They are in the trenches. It's these young years that are just exhausting right now, and all of them looked amazing uh, today. And uh, I, I just think that after the last year of being sort of constantly confronted with the, the pain that's in the world and uh, feeling like there's calamity all around, just how refreshing is it to be able to see an entire crop of God's blessing, the things that he did over the course of this year? Now, as wonderful as Mother's Day is, the truth is it also can be a very difficult day for many of us. Um, while we are celebrating all of these moms who have, you know, brand new babies and, um, and just how exciting that is, that there are others in this room who may have lost parents this year, lost a mother, or some people never actually knew their moms, or some of us had terrible mothers. And for us, for, for us, okay, sorry, mom, you're not... Uh, <laughs> for, 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 for them... Um, this can be this can be a really a really challenging day, and then there are others who have lost children. There are, are women in this room who have had miscarriages. There are women who want to ha- uh, be a mom but haven't been able to get pregnant. That was Carly and I for a number of years, where we were just crying out to God, "Why, Lord, can't we have a child?" And looking around and seeing all of these other women who are getting pregnant and having babies and doing ministry uh, to, to teen moms and seeing their life circumstances and how hard it is for them to have children, and yet we weren't able to have it. And there was, there was a, a passage from Isaiah chapter 51 that really anchored us during that season. And I think that it's a good anchor for every woman here or every person here who is having a challenging time with, with Mother's Day. It's Isaiah 51 verse 3. It says, For the Lord comfort Zion... He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. See, this is what the Lord does. He takes our waste places and he makes the wilderness like Eden, the garden of the Lord. So this is my prayer for each and every mom and each person in here today is that today joy and gladness will be found in you. Thanksgiving in the voice of song. So as we get ready to open up God's word, will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for moms. Uh, We thank you for the perseverance that it takes to become a mother and the perseverance that it takes to be a mom. Thank you, Lord, for the way that they demonstrate your heart towards us 
in the way that they love and they sacrifice and they pour themselves out and they give and they give and they give, often thanklessly. And so, Lord, we want to celebrate moms today, just as you do. We pray a blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we are going to continue in our series that we have been in for the last few weeks. We are spending uh, this season, uh, several weeks in the spring, walking through the Psalms. And what we're trying to do in walking through the Psalms is learning how to pray and how to express ourselves to God by looking at how the poets uh, in the Psalms express themselves to God. And what we've seen so far is that there's a real range of expression and emotion uh, that is demonstrated to us. There are Psalms that feel, you know, just like overflowing with poetic, beautiful language, longing and love for God, or, or uh, Psalms that show God's overflowing love for us. But then there's other Psalms that are just super gritty, you know, like tear down the strongholds of my enemies. You know, why do the wicked prosper? It's not fair, God. Where are you? I feel forsaken. And what we love about the Psalms is that in reading these poems, we are given permission to express all of the stuff that is in our hearts to God. That he doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't shrink back. He doesn't recoil and say, how dare you? He actually invites us to give all of ourselves over to him, even the stuff that we maybe ought not give And so today we are going to spend some time looking at the language of vulnerability and security by reading Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite psalms. This psalm is really all about what it's like to be known by God. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Psalm 139. Um, If you want to open up one of the pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 521. And let's read the psalm together. I'm reading from the New International Version. David writes this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are, all, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if, uh, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. 
They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139 is kind of the quintessential Mother's Day psalm. It's the one that we go to for every women's conference, for every Mother's Day card. It's like, this is the one for you, Mom. Um, And this week, as I've been meditating on Psalm 139, it has been like water for my parched soul. And the poem that we just read is full of imagery that points us back to what we might call the feminine attributes of God, which in sort of evangelical, you know, Protestant world can feel a little bit jarring to even hear those words, feminine attributes of God. You see, though God reveals himself to us throughout the entire scripture as our father, God is so much bigger than our human gender categories. He doesn't fit neatly into our human boxes, especially not our human Western American 21st century boxes. The Bible uses language to describe what God is like that breaks down how we think about gender roles and attributes. You see, the Bible is clear that men and women were both created in the image of God. And... um, And that they reveal different attributes of who God is differently from each other. And that that's a good thing. So if we only look at men and we only look at fathers, we will have a a shrunken and incomplete view of what God is actually like. We need men and women together to get a fuller picture of who God is and what he's like. And especially how he relates to us. And this is the beauty of all kinds of human relationships between men and women. This is the beauty of marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see that it is through marriage, the coming together of a man and a woman, that we are more, we are more able to see the completeness of what God is like, especially in how he relates to the church. It is a great mystery. And this is a way bigger discussion than we have time for to get into today, but this is one of the reasons why we practice Uh, our leadership structure here in the vineyard the way that we do. We believe that men and women are created differently from each other. And because of our differences, because of our varying gifts, it's all the more reason why men and women are called to lead the church together. And so here at the vineyard, we actually affirm women at every level of leadership within our church body. There is no role that is off limits to women. And in fact, I'm super excited because in just a few weeks, we actually get to affirm two more women into the pastor role here at Vancouver Vineyard Church. Isn't that exciting? So stay tuned for that. Psalm 139 is full of tender language. There is a feminine quality to the way that God cares for us in this poem. We see that God forms us and he even knits us rather than swinging a hammer, constructing and building us. We see language of how his thoughts towards us are precious, like a mom's thoughts to to her child. We see that God hems us in like a mom who is corralling a crazy toddler. 
The psalm reveals what you might call almost like a mothering nature of God. And if that language freaks you out, I totally get it. Let's have coffee and talk about why that freaks you out and see what we can do about that. So what does Psalm 139 teach us about how we can pray, about how we can relate to God? What kind of language does it give us as we learn how to express ourselves to our Father? In short, I believe that this poem primarily is showing us how to be vulnerable and how to find security in God's love. So let's just take a few minutes. We'll look at a few of the big ideas from this poem. First, we see an, that, that we, uh, we are given an awareness of God's intimate knowledge of us. He opens the poem by saying, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. That nothing in our lives is hidden from God. He knows every single thing about us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motivations. He knows what we say before we even say it. And he loves us completely. Could you imagine being that known and that loved at the same time? If I'm being honest... Usually those things feel like they run in conflict with each other. The more, the more known I am, the less lovable I feel. You know what I mean? And yet, the more known we are, the more God lavishes his love. God knows our fears. He knows our anxieties. He knows that even when we don't understand what's happening deep beneath the surface, God is aware, and he is guiding us and loving us through it. The second thing that we see in this poem is we are given an awareness of God's presence that is always with us. He writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? That if I go all the way up into heaven, yeah, you're there. I mean, we know that. But even if I descend all the way to the deeps and I find the farthest corner, there you are. That... that even in our darkest and most scary seasons, the, fe- the times where we feel most vulnerable, God is right there leading us. There is nowhere that we can hide from God's leading and his caring. In fact, David goes on to say, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will, be, will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. That in all of our circumstances, God is right there with us. The third thing we see is that we are given an awareness that we have been lovingly formed. He writes, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You see, when David wrote this psalm, he was anchoring himself in the fact that he is fearfully and wonderfully made as an object of God's love. Could you imagine what it would be like to have that truth at the very foundation of your life? How it would just cut through all of the things, all of the the fears and the anxieties and the insecurities that get in there. Imagine looking at yourself in the mirror as you are today, flaws and all, And repeating this phrase over yourself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That God even delights in the COVID-19 that I put on this year as I ate sourdough bread at home. God doesn't just love some future version of you. He loves you as you are today. He's not waiting for you to clean up your act so that you'll one day be something that is lovable. 
He looks at you, as, at, you are, at you as you are right now in this moment with deep love and affection. I was, um, I was talking with a woman uh, earlier this week, um, and uh, she was cutting my hair, and she was sharing with me about uh, that she, she has this, like, desire to be a mom someday, maybe, but she has this real deep fear of becoming a mom and how it will, like, totally ruin her life and destroy her body. Um, and having seen the toll that kids take on the physical, emotional, mental health of my wife, like, that's a real concern. I get that. But I told her that, that through the years, I've been, I've been with my wife now for like 18 years we've been together. Uh, we, we were teenagers, you know, when we, when we started dating high school sweethearts. Homecoming king and queen, no big deal. Um, and uh, <laughs> and, um, and, I've, and through all of the years that I've been with her, now we have three kids and we're tired. And we've got little Maggie and she's adorable and sweet. And Carly's not getting a whole lot of sleep. And you're recovering and everything from the, the, the work of being pregnant and having children. And I can honestly say that I am deeply in love with my wife. That I don't see her as being flawed. I see her as being, like, enriched as a woman, as a mom. And it's amazing. And here's the thing. Like, that's what God, when he looks at us, even with our scars and our junk and our pain and all of the crud that we feel like we're carrying that makes us unlovable, he sees that and he says, no, like, that's the real you. And I love you. God looks at us just like that. He knit us together. He made us. He intricately, every single detail, he poured his love into. The fourth thing we see in the psalm is that we are given an awareness of God's plan for our lives. In verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That no matter what your story is, no matter what, where you came from or what you've done, who your parents are, what you have on your record, the promise is that God has a future and a hope for each one of us as we walk with him. He has a destiny for you. That before you even arrived on the earth, you were on God's mind, and he was planning for you. The fifth thing we see in this poem is that we are given an awareness for God's concern for evil in the world. This is the part of the psalm where we would love to just like skip over and pretend wasn't actually in there, make it more of a flowery poem. But from the place of security with God, David can release some of the pain and the anger that is in his mind and in his body. We read, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. All of the not-so-quiet rage that is residing in David's heart needs an outlet. It needs a place to go. And David wisely takes it to the Lord in prayer. You see, these four verses are not meant to affirm us in our rage. It's not Scripture teaching us that it's fine to hate people. It's David showing where he takes the hate that is in his heart, and he takes it to prayer. I think that all of us uh, have seeds of hate, anger, frustration, even rage that are in our heart and that are constantly being sown 
into our hearts. And I think that the last, you know, 16 months or so has been a, a time where that stuff has becoming like coming up more and more to the surface just through the sheer anxiety of the year that we've been through. And I think that some of us, that, that all of us have experienced it. Some of us are just more filtered <laughs> than others. Um, some people can, uh, you know, kind of, kind of keep it together and others of us go on comment sections on YouTube and let it all out. It's not lost on me that there are men and women who come into our church week after week who are captured by the outrage culture that is rampant today on both the right and the left. And I'm aware that a lot of times people come into our church and they have these seeds of frustration and anger that has been sown into them from all kinds of different sources. And we, we just want to attach some kind of meaning to it. We want to attach some, something to be outraged by, something that is like the, the source of all of our anger, and we, and, and we can tend to turn on each other and devour each other. And we can locate, you know, our source of anger is things like mask mandates, you know, um, or, uh, you know, individual freedom or being angry about other people's choices that they are making with how they're, they're going about this whole pandemic time. I was just in um, Arizona uh, a couple weeks ago. How many of you have been to Arizona? It's the Wild West. It's lawless down there. It's really great. Um, and, uh, and when I was down there, it's different restrictions, you know, than, than up here. And uh, you go, go to stores and stuff, and some people wear masks, some people don't. You go to church, some people wear masks, some people don't. And, you know, here it's very locked down, and this is just the way that we do things. And when I was there, you know, uh, I, I am personally am vaccinated, and so I, I have not a lot to worry about. But I realized that there is, like, this deep psychology that has been sown into me for the last, you know, 14, 16 months where I'm, like, like super self-conscious about who is participating in what way and everything else. And I'm realizing that as we move forward as a church, oh my gosh, guys, we got to do this together. We got to love each other because it is so easy to just, for people to to judge each other and criticize each other and tear each other down. I am on a, a tangent. Okay, sorry. We live in a time where people have quiet rage that is simmering beneath the surface all of the time. And the question is, what do you do with it? Where do you take it? Do you take it to the streets and protest? Do you rant on social media, jump in the comment sections? Do you blow up a family get-together with your opinions about something? David took it to the Lord in prayer, and he gave it to God. Unfiltered and honest. Here is how I'm feeling. Here is my experience, God. You're in control. I'm giving it over to you. Sixth thing we see here, and this is the last one, is an awareness of God's gentle leadership. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. From a place of total security, knowing that God knows everything about us and still he loves us, we can invite his gentle leadership to examine and search us. You see, when we we invite God to search our hearts, to, to test us, to look beneath the surface and all of the crevices, it's not like we're we're inviting him and wondering if God is going to find something, like like something that we've been hiding from him. He knows it all already. It's really an invitation to 
for, to God to go into our hearts to find the things that he already knows is in there so that he can bring it up to us and reveal it to us. And then he lovingly invites us to join him in his work of surrendering it to him. It's beautiful. So what I love about this poem is the relationship between total vulnerability and total security. That because I am fully known and loved, I can be deeply honest with God and with myself about what's happening in my life. And I don't have to fear that I'm going to shock God and that he's going to run away from me. And also, because I am completely un- unhidden and I am completely at mercy at God's mercy, totally vulnerable, knowing that he still cares for me, I can be completely confident and secure in him. And it is when we begin to feel shaky about either of those realities that everything starts to fall apart. That when we feel insecure, we tend to hide things from God. We are like Adam and Eve in the garden, sewing together fig leaves to hide our nakedness from him. Pretending like God can't see us. And this fear, this distrust, it creates separation in our relationship with God. We distance ourselves and we end up, as we distance ourselves away from God, we end up becoming increasingly enslaved to the thing that is bringing shame in the first place. On the other hand, if we are puffed up with pride and unwilling to be honest and vulnerable with God about the things that are in our hearts, then our growth with him in our relationship with him tends to be arrested and we live in a very shallow relationship with God. It's, it's what the book of James talks about when he says that we like look into a mirror and we see our reflection and then we walk away and totally forget what we look like. It's having technically correct answers, technically correct theology, technically appropriate and acceptable prayer language, and at the same time having no depth with God. You see, the aim of our life as Christians is to develop this kind of security and vulnerability or honesty. It's all about having our identity totally and completely rooted in God. Think about Jesus. Jesus did it really well. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he went off and he was traveling all over the place, healing everybody, casting out demons, and going to the cross, before any of that happened, Jesus went out into the wilderness uh, to the bank of the River Jordan, where his cousin John was baptizing people. And Jesus, he humbly went into the water to be baptized as well. And so Jesus is plunged under the water, and when he is brought back up from the water we see that the Spirit of God descends upon him in the form of a dove, or like a dove, and that a voice comes down from heaven saying this, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I love how it's written in in Mark's Gospel, because in there the statement is directly from the Father to the Son. He's not saying, This is my Son. He is saying, You are. You are my son whom I love. With you I am pleased. I love you. Jesus is given a secure identity at the very beginning of his ministry from the Father. A security that enables him for the rest of his life and ministry at every point to be like brutally honest with God. 
and to open his heart up to him. In fact, we see at the very end of Jesus' story, the night before he goes to the cross, he's in a garden. He is sweating drops of blood, full of anxiety about what he is about to go through. And he's not coming to God with technically correct theology, not, not technically correct prayers, and just saying, my, my food is to do your will, God. I delight in the, whatever you have in front of me. No, he says, please, if there's any other way, if there's anything else I can do, please, God, like, hear my prayer. I'm begging you. And yet, because of his security with the Father, he's able to still say, nevertheless, I trust you. Not my will. Yours be done. And we see that right after Jesus is baptized, immediately he is, he is sent out into the wilderness to fast and be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And what does Satan go after for those entire 40 days? He goes after Jesus' security and his identity. He, he goes after his security with the Father. He goes after his future. He goes after his destiny. And this is what the enemy will go after in your life every single day. He will attack your security with God. He'll attempt to dismantle your identity in the Father because he knows that if he can sow distrust into your relationship with him, you'll create distance and you'll wander away. He'll use pride. He'll use shame. He'll use your past. He'll bring up every sin that you committed this weekend during your worship time or during ministry time, all to keep you from the good things that God has in store for you, wanting to separate you from the Father. And this, my friends, is why we desperately need the language of Psalm 139 to anchor our souls when our security and our identity is under attack. When you look at Psalm 139, my question is, do do these words feel true for you? Do they feel real in your life? Are you experiencing the life that this poem is describing Are you aware of God's intimate knowledge of every aspect of who you are? Or do you tend to feel overlooked and forgotten by God? Are you aware of God's presence that is always with you, even guiding you through the dark and the scary seasons? Or do you feel far from God, distant from Him? Are you aware that you have been lovingly formed? Or do you feel insecurity and shame of who you've become? Are you hopeful for the destiny, the future, the hope that God has in store for you? Or do you find yourself constantly spinning your wheels, trying to do life on your own, make it happen on your own, buying into the lie that it all depends on you, or succumbing to the hopelessness that it doesn't really matter anyway? What difference will it make? Are you taking your emotional pain to God in prayer? Are you giving him the burden of your anger and your anxiety? Or do you tend to just leak the poison that's in, that, that, that's in there out on the people around you or on the internet or in traffic? Do you invite the gentle and corrective leadership of God to shine his light in the shadowy places of your heart? Or do you resist God, not wanting to face what's really in there? My guess is that many of us, at times, at least, feel much more prone to the second list than the first list. And if that's you, we're really glad that you're here. Welcome to the club. This is what church is for. The key in praying Psalm 139 is really found right here at the very end, the last two verses. Search me, God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Socrates famously wrote that the unexamined life is not worth living. And these two verses, they invite us into a God-examined life that leads us into fruitfulness and purpose and joy. It's in praying these two verses, letting them become sort of the anchor for our souls, that we experience the, the, the relationship, the connection between vulnerability and security, and we receive an identity that is anchored in God's love. And that is the life that you and I were created for. So the big idea of today's sermon really is simple. It's take five minutes each day and read through this psalm and pray it over yourself. And as you're reading through this psalm and you're praying over yourself, and maybe there's like a key verse or two, a little section that really stands out to you, that that it's like the Holy Spirit is highlighting. Usually that's God's way of addressing something and saying, hey, this is like a thing that I want to address right now. This is like a thing I want to invite you into. Pay attention to this part right here. And then just go on the journey with him. This week for me, as I spent time in Psalm 139, praying and preparing for this message, I kept coming to the same verse over and over and over again in my prayer time. And it was verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I realized that I've been wrestling with God about my future. And really wondering whether or not, like, is this the life that I'm supposed to be living? Am I on the right track? Did I take a wrong turn somewhere? Did I veer way off because I'm exhausted and it's hard right now? Are you sure, God, about this whole thing? You see, I wrestle with trusting that he's guiding me when I'm in the trenches with three kids and when we're in in a season where we're leading the church through very complicated uh, societal conditions right now and, and trying to hold everybody together in love and figure out what is the best way to do things and moving forward. It's, it's very challenging. We're just sort of in the trenches. It's all the stuff, right? And here's the thing. It's not any harder for me than it is for you. Every single one of us has been going through really, real challenges. And God was reminding me that before you were even, like before anybody ever knew that you would exist, I did, and I knew about the season And I knew how I was going to walk you through it. And so I pray these verses, verse 23 and 24 each day. Search me, God. Search my heart. Examine me. And know my anxiety. Look down in the deep places that I can't see and get to the root of the stuff that is in there. Don't leave me to continue in my sin. No, look for the offensive ways that are residing in my heart. The wrong motivations, the unrighteous anger, the entitlement the whining and lead me to true life in your kingdom. Show me the life of freedom and peace that you created for me to live in. Amen.